is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. There's shock, anger after Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage at the Hollywood Bowl while taping a Netflix comedy special. So is it now open season on comedians? Will they have to watch what they say? And has the Will Smith Oscars slap changed everything? We'll go in-depth. The governor, California Democratic leaders, pushed for a change to the state constitution to protect abortion rights. And we get both sides of the issue as we talk with the Democratic state lawmaker from Orange County and the head of the California Catholic Conference. They strongly oppose the move. More missile attacks in Ukraine as the European Union proposes a ban on imports of Russian oil. We'll look into what will happen next uh, with the war. The Federal Reserve hiking the interest rates. We'll look at whether that's uh, going to work in curbing inflation. And uh, my Star Wars socks are on today. May the 4th be with you, so we are going to talk about Star Wars. And you're not kidding about that, are you? No, I have. Well, I, I was troubled let, let me deciding let me, which let me, let me pair see. to wear. Let, let me see. Hold on. I got hold, the hold Mandalorian. On, Don't go anywhere. The Mandalorian ones today. Yeah, he, he's not kidding. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. On with the show. Uh, we start with that incident that saw comedian Dave Chappelle tackled on stage at the Hollywood Bowl. Joining us is Alonzo Bowden, stand-up comic, actor and host of the podcast, Who's Paying Attention? And by the way, his uh, next performance is at the Nightcap Comedy Club that's in Burbank, and it is on the 14th of May. Alonzo, thanks for coming back with us. How you doing, guys? Fine. So, um, I, you know, after it, and, and I hesitate too much to link this to the now infamous uh, Oscar night with Will Smith uh, slapping Chris Rock. Having said that, it almost seems like it's just too close in time and the way it happened to not link them. Do you? Well, initially I didn't. Uh, I have some comic friends who said, "Uh uh-oh, it's going to be open season on comics. And I was like, no, it wouldn't. But apparently it is. Yeah, I would definitely say this is linked. This crazy guy thought it was okay to attack comics and i imagine there's going to be more crazies that think so and of course this guy paid a penalty uh got his butt whooped and he's now charged with attempted murder or or whatever the charges are but unfortunately there are people who think this is licensed to attack so what goes through your head when you see the news this morning or maybe you saw it last night that this this happened and do you separate and think about the scenario that, that you might be in, you know, small club, smaller club, medium size versus, you know, big stadium. If someone could do it at the Hollywood Bowl, they can probably do this, you know, at someplace else that, that is just, uh, you know, a bunch of comics for the night. No, my first thought is they can't shut us up. No matter what you do, comics are going to keep talking. You may not like it, but we're going to do it. And And Dave did something and Chris Rock did it. It's what the pros do. They deflected it with humor and tried to, to I don't know, um, change the energy to the audience, but they handled the situation like pros. Um, I'm not worried in comedy clubs. Apparently comedy clubs have better security than the Oscars or the Hollywood bowl, you know, but they will, they'll do their best to stop this behavior. Uh, but yeah, my first thought was, you're not going to shut comics up even by attacking us physically. Well, but but let me, uh, on, along those lines, uh, Alonzo, uh, it's admirable when you say that, that, that they're not going to shut comics up. But last night kind of raised the ante, did it not? I mean, Will Smith, as, 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 as crazy and disturbing as uh, his actions were on Oscar night, uh, he didn't have any kind of weapon in his hand except his hand, which is bad enough, but a hand. 
Last night it escalated to somebody who, as I understand it from the uh, police reports, uh, was a, a replica gun, but that had something like a knife attached to it that could have been used to inflict real serious harm. So this has escalated. Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, that's our whole society. I mean, let's be honest. Guns are everywhere, right? We have school shootings and things like that. So at any point, you somebody, uh, mental illness, crazy, whatever you want to call it, could snap and come at you with a weapon. Um, so I guess it's unfortunate that now comedy clubs have joined that list. He, Dave Chappelle, had part of his act last night talking about how he's beefed up security after his previous you know, um, specials and all the, the material he did and the jokes he made uh, at the expense of the transgender community. Has he gotten too close to the line? Has he stepped over the line? Or, or is that still just part of what he does? No, no, I don't think, listen, I don't think Dave is transphobic. I don't think Dave stepped over the line. Um, my conservative estimate is 90% of the people who were mad at Dave didn't watch the whole special. They just heard some words. That's kind of how we react now. We're, we're in a uh, short attention span society, so nobody's going to watch the whole hour when they can get mad over three minutes. Um, does he have to increase security? Yeah. Because when you're the biggest star, you're the biggest target. I mean, that that's just how it goes in, in anything, right? So he's a big target because of who he is. His voice carries a lot of weight because so many people listen to it. But um, in no way does Dave deserve this. In no way will I ever think Dave is a bad guy. Do comics push the limit? Absolutely. It's, it's what we do. You know, people seem to have forgotten a guy named George Carlin. Right. Are you kidding me? The stuff George Carlin used to say this, the, the jokes that listen, one of the highest honors I ever had was getting roasted backstage by Don Rickles. Today, there are people <laughs> who would cry over Don Rickles. So I'm sorry. But like I said, comics are not going to shut up because a few people's feelings get hurt. Comedians are not politicians. We don't set policy. We're not teachers. We're not training your children. We are comedians. You come to see us to hear what we have to say. Alonzo Bowden, stand-up comic, actor. He's got the podcast, Who's Paying Attention? And uh, Nightcap Comedy Club, Burbank, May 14th. Still to come, European leaders look to cut off oil imports from Russia as the war on Ukraine sees new missile strikes and looking at the impact of the Fed hiking the interest rates to tackle inflation. Right now, the, the uh, governor and Democratic leaders in Sacramento say... They will now work on changing the state constitution to enshrine the right to abortion. It's in reaction to that leak that suggests the Supreme Court is about to strike down Roe versus Wade. Joining us now is Orange County Assemblywoman Cotty Petrie Norris. Thanks for being with us. Well, good afternoon, um, Micah Charles. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, the governor wants to have the constitution of the state changed. I presume that uh, you're in favor of that. Tell us why. That's right. Uh, the governor, along with our Senate pro tem and uh, the Speaker of the Assembly, in response to the, the shocking and horrifying news that uh, Roe v. Wade is about to be overturned, announced uh, that California will be introducing an amendment that will enshrine the right to choose in California's constitution. Uh, we've seen that we just can't trust uh, the Supreme Court to protect women, and uh, in California, we are going to step in to, uh, to fill that gap. What does putting it 
in the Constitution actually do? Because it's not like with Roe overturned that abortions would change here in California. We're not one of the states with any of these trigger laws, and we don't expect to be. Uh, we believe that this additional layer of protection is really important right now uh, with the right to choose, with reproductive freedom, with women's fundamental rights under assault all across this country. Uh, the assessment is that uh, simply relying on the right to privacy uh, to protect California women and to protect reproductive freedom for California women is not sufficient, which is why we think it's appropriate to add an additional layer of protection, which is what uh, an amendment to California's Constitution will do. Presuming the Supreme Court ruling, as the draft indicates, stands, and presuming that we end up with some people think it's going to be roughly 50-50, maybe split of states that oppose and don't oppose uh, abortion. Do you envision California as what? A, a, a kind of, <clears throat> and I don't mean this in a frivolous way, but sort of a, an abortion mecca that women from other parts of the country who can't get abortions in their own state would come here? And if so, who pays for that? My vision is that California will uh, continue to be a champion for reproductive freedom and will be a, a beacon of hope for women who, who are desperate and may find themselves when this decision is implemented with no options and with no choices. And uh, in California, we believe it's really important for us to be a, a sanctuary for women in need. Um, that being said, uh, no, there will not be California taxpayers will not be paying for procedures for out-of-state women. One of the steps uh, that we have taken in the state and the Legislative Women's Caucus, we've introduced a, a package of legislation to uh, strengthen and protect reproductive freedom um, here in California. One of the proposals that is uh, moving through the legislature would create a fund that is, is funded not by California taxpayer, tax dollars, not by the state, but funded by private donors and private philanthropists should out-of-state women need financial support uh, if they find themselves in California needing needing our help. Are there estimates on, on how many women we could see? I mean, what what kind of uptick could there be? And, and I think it's already started to happen after, you know, Texas put its law in place. That's right. What we saw uh, when Texas uh, enacted their almost total ban on abortions, there was a spike in uh, demand in neighboring Oklahoma. Now we're, we're seeing Oklahoma put in similar restrictions. The expectation is that uh, as many as 26, many as 26 states in, uh, in America could ban the procedure. Uh, estimates have been as high as a 3,000% increase on the resulting demand here in California. And I think one, one point that I think is really important to make is while uh, 26 states are on the precipice of banning this fundamental necessary medical procedure, it's totally out of step with public opinion across America. More than 70% of Americans believe in a woman's right to choose and believe that Roe v. Wade should stand. Orange County Assemblywoman Cotty Petrie Norris. Now let's get to the other side of the issue. Joining us is uh, Kathleen Domingo, Executive Director of the California Catholic Conference. 
Thanks for being here. So your group out with the statements, as we noted earlier, uh, opposed to enshrining this in the Constitution. So we gather in favor of, of overturning Roe. What do you say to those on the other side who say they are feeling like with all of this religion is basically being forced on them? Because how can you separate the two when the majority of the country wants abortion, but with restrictions, not total bans? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting place to be when we talk about religion. The Catholic Church for 2,000 years has really walked with women and families and children and people in need and people who are um, in vulnerable situations. And that's really our take on this position. We certainly have a theological position, but really because we are the largest provider of social services outside the federal government and the state government um, and anywhere in the world, actually, every single day we work with people who are just very vulnerable. And they tell us they're having trouble living in California and raising families here. And what they need is help raising the children that they have and that they want to have. Okay, but that doesn't really answer the question that Mike raised, which is that there are people who uh, are not particularly religious or they're from a different religion, a different set of religious beliefs. And they think that, you know, uh, what a woman does with her body is her own decision. And if uh, that particular woman happens to be religious, then she's you know free to follow whatever uh, religious belief she has. But if she's not... Why should she be subject to that other point of view? Well, there are plenty of people who are of all religions or no religion or atheists who are opposed to abortion, um, just on humanitarian terms, and people who really follow science and say, according to science, an unborn child is a member of our human family, um, and therefore we should do everything that we can to, to protect that unborn child and provide them a right to life. So I don't think it's fair to say that it's just a religious argument. Certainly major religions and the Catholic Church, of course, are opposed to abortion and have been a loud voice there. But again, we do that not just based on our doctrine, but based on that experience every day of working with people who tell us that they would really like to have children. They just need help no. doing that and providing the safety but, net. But, but you do know when, when you do say that, you know, science recognizes, uh, you know, the unborn child as a, as a human, I mean, you do recognize that the science also says that it's heavily dependent upon the time that you're talking about, the time frame you're talking about. It's one thing to talk about, you know, uh, an embryo that, that's, you know, a couple of months away from, from the woman giving birth to, you know, at the point of gestation. I mean, isn't there a difference? Um, actually, no. Science doesn't really provide a difference. There's a difference in the gestation period, and there's a difference in um, the developmental level, but that infant that whether it's a, a fetus or an embryo is still a member of the human species that never changes from the beginning um the dna is set at the moment yes but you know kathleen you know what i'm talking about and and you're, you're kind of cutting it with a very it's fine... been debated for for yeah. decades right. and decades and decades right, right. yeah I, I, mean... so I think what you might be talking about is viability or those kinds of lines right exactly um, and and, and, th- and that's, that's where and that's where the dispute essentially lies. And that's where, to go back to the question that Mike raised and and that I was reinforcing, and that's where you get into this whole issue where some women who are not religious particularly say, look, you know, uh, science, to go back to your point, science says that viability occurs at X point. If I choose to have an abortion before that point, then that should be my right. Well, I think the question about viability is a really interesting one because it's a goalpost that keeps changing. Um, Years ago, viability was much further into gestational age than it is now, um, thanks to medical and technological advances. I also think that when we talk about viability, um, that's really sort of a red herring. What we're talking about is, is uh, is, is the unborn child a member of the human species and a part of the human family? And then what does that mean for us? 
So again, when we talk about this, um, you know, and, and it's, it's not really necessarily from doctrinal um, aspects, it's from that understanding that women really do want to have children. They want to have the children that they have. And certainly not every woman does, um, but those people who do, we really want them to be supported. And so when we ask, you know, have this question about how the law is changing to really favor abortion rights um, over a lot of other social safety net issues, that's really our concern, is that those women who want to have children and want to have families are not getting that same attention and respect and support. What about the women, though, who, again, do not want to have them and, and will we'll take viability and, 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 and that out of this and just say, should the government have that power to dictate that choice? I mean, if this is a religious thing, let them settle up with their God later. But should the government have that ability to say, no, you cannot do that? Well, of course, as if, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, then that doesn't necessarily remove that ability. That sends things to the court, to the states to decide. And in California, that won't be decided um, opposing to abortion here in California. It'll be expanded. But, but there is already some suggestion that if the Supreme Court, if this, you know, the decision is what we're reading now in the draft, that the next attempt uh, on the part of some, mostly, you know, uh, Republicans and more conservative members of society, would end up trying to push to go one step further, which would actually make abortion totally illegal. Would that be something that you would accept? Well, certainly I don't support um, abortion being legal. Um, However, um, I think that conversation is really a hypothetical one. Well, um, every conversation so. is, hold on, every conversation yeah. is a hypothetical <laughs> one. But my question uh, was, if that were the next move, and that's being widely discussed, so it's not mm-hmm. like a great secret, you know, it's not like just between the two of us. So is that something that you would uh, object to, or is that something that you think would be a good idea if the next move would be to ban abortion, period? Well, I wouldn't necessarily uh, want this to be the next move, and here's why. I think there's still work to be done. I think that there are a lot of supports in the, the, um, the country, in different states, certainly in the community. But really what's needed is a, a growth of the social safety net for people so that they have some, some things to turn to. A lot of women will tell us that they are looking for abortion because they are housing insecure, because they're in a situation of intimate partner violence, because they have all of these other situations going on. And the pregnancy is an, an immediate um, issue that they, they, a challenge that they need help with, but it's not the underlying issue. And so very often when we can find women resources to help with whatever is the underlying issue driving them to seek an abortion, then they say, well, actually, I would keep this pregnancy and I would be happy to be a mother in, under these circumstances. And I think that we would find a lot of those situations. So I would say an immediate change, no, we're not quite ready for that yet. But is that something to shoot for? I would hope so. And I would hope we would get to a place where, as a community, we would absolutely support women and support women being able to have children and being supported in every pregnancy. Thank you, right, for an honest, thank you for an honest answer. Kathleen Domingo, Executive Director of the California Catholic Conference. Russian forces carried out new missile strikes across Ukraine today. Same time, the EU says it's planning a ban on all its member nations from importing oil from Russia as efforts continue to hit Moscow with uh, tough economic sanctions. With us again, Robert English, director of Central European Studies at USC, an expert on domestic and foreign politics of Russia and Eastern Europe. Robert, thanks for being back with us. So, um, okay, so we've gone from... gas, you know, which was important for Europe, but not as important as oil to the next step, which is oil. Uh, Is this going to do the trick? And exactly what is the trick they're trying to do? 
careful. We went not from gas to oil, but from coal to oil. That's true. Okay, so coal to oil. Yeah, and in fact, gas remains very important. And it's notable that they have not yet set uh, targets for that, except for the long-term target of something like three years, showing how tough it is because of all the infrastructure, the pipelines and distribution and compressors that are dependent. But yes, we the Europeans have stopped, by and large, coal imports, and they're aiming at stopping oil imports by the end of the year. They split it actually into two components, right? So that um, the um, crude oil, they can phase that out in six months and refined products by the end of the year. So that's another eight months, um, our total eight months. And it's going to be tough to do. These are targets, but some countries, uh, Slovakia, Hungary among them, um, don't see yet how they're going to be able to pull it off. They're going to need a lot of help from their neighbors and maybe us. What has happened so far? Can we tell if all these sanctions are working? Who's feeling this in Russia right now? Uh, they're definitely feeling it. And, and it's not just these sanctions, right? Trade, commercial, investment, banking activity. And by the way, today's um, package maybe was more significant in now de-swifting. That's what they call it when they uh, take um, a financial institution off the SWIFT system for you know, international transfers. They have de-swifted Sberbank. Right. That was the biggest remaining official Russian bank. So that's maybe even a more hurtful blow to Russia's economy than phasing out oil and gas over eight months. Right. That'll hit immediately. But um, I like your questions because you're getting at the heart of the matter. As much as this is hurting Russia, it's going to hurt Europe, too. And who has more patience? Right. The Russians are being hurt more in absolute terms, but maybe European consumers have less patience being in a free society and not a repressive one. And there's going to be a lot of howling over the high price for transportation, for home heating, and everything else that's going to come with getting off of Russian oil and then gas. Well, also, I mean, historically, uh, the Russians are a little bit more used to than Western Europeans being without, aren't they? Yes, exactly what I'm saying. Uh, they have, even if all things were equal politically, which they're not, they, they're just tough people. They've endured privations. They've never had a prolonged period of prosperity. They've never got as spoiled as we are, to put it crudely. And, um, and here they go again. But all things aren't equal, right? They're being bombarded with propaganda that says sacrifice is patriotic. The West is trying to destroy our country. We must unite together. And by the way, what that means, of course, is shifting dependence to Asia, right? Becoming heavily dependent on China the big brother of China, and increasingly smaller Asian countries, but also India as their market. And um, is that good for Russia in the long run? I don't think so. Robert English, Director of Central European Studies, USC, expert on domestic and foreign politics of Russia and Eastern Europe. The latest long-range forecast for California in terms of weather is very grim reading. There are more heat waves ahead this summer, worsening our already severe drought, and that could mean another wave of extreme wildfires. But it looks like Northern California may be impacted more than us here in Southern California. With more, um, with us now is a U.S. Forest Service and meteorologist Matthew Seamus. And Matthew, let's start with that last point. Why would it be them getting it worse than us this time, which is actually kind of what happened last year, right? Yes, it is. Uh, we've had uh, much less uh, rainfall than uh, normal, only 50 to 80 percent of normal precipitation. Uh, this water year, which starts in October, 
And most of that rain came in December. We've had very little precipitation in January through March. So we have a lot less in the way of uh, fine fuel loading, which includes uh, the grasses. So without that, uh, we, we get much less uh, fire activity across the lower elevations. And looking for uh, above normal monsoon uh, shower and thunderstorm activity this summer, so that should help out the mountains and deserts. So we're looking for, uh, what, here in Southern California, more rain this summer, is that it? Uh, over the mountains and deserts, uh, we'll see uh, uh, near to above normal uh, rainfall. It usually mm. doesn't get west of the mountains. We only see a few days of uh, showers and thunderstorms uh, from the monsoon across the lower elevations. Okay, so better for us, but still bad for them. So we expect NorCal more. I mean, last year was it was record breaker after record breaker and it seems like every year this is what we do now we set new records every year for for acreage and and, and that kind of thing yeah i'm expecting another uh, bad year up in northern california they've had quite a bit more precipitation than central or southern california so they have more fine fuel loading and they're further away from the moisture source for the monsoon so they tend to get more in the way of dry lightning strikes up there well, uh, for our uh, mountains and deserts, it's uh, more wet. The initial surge causes uh, uh, some large fires over the Sierra, but uh, once once it gets going, uh, the fuel moisture is increased, and normally we just get some uh, small fires uh, after the initial surge. And does it look as if this is going to be the new normal? Uh, well, uh, uh, it's been this case for the last few years now. Uh, with uh, uh, global warming, we've been tending to have warmer temperatures and less precipitation than normal. So uh, it's a good bet that this uh, yep. continues uh, for the next uh, several years. When we see these heat waves, are there the chances for them happening more often and also when we see them we see them for longer periods of time is it one or the other is it both uh yeah we're seeing more heat waves and they're lasting longer uh and that's due to the global warming uh we, we saw several heat waves last year and the year before and uh once again we're expecting uh, above normal temperatures this summer so we'll uh, likely see uh, uh at least a few of them uh, this summer as well. So on an individual level, there's not that much that people can do, is there? Uh, no. Uh, it's it's basically uh, uh, all the normal things, uh, recycling, driving less. That'll uh, help put less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But, uh, but is there any indication that, that Californians have been doing that the past few years? Uh, I, I, I can't really say on that. Uh, I, I know we're, we're, we're seeing uh, more and more pollution uh, uh, as a nation, and that we're seeing warmer and warmer temperatures out west. So uh, uh, 
Uh, more needs to be done. That's all I could say on that. How far out can you go in the long range? And what's the confidence level like when you do that sort of thing? Because also, I mean, as you mentioned, this year was kind of a, a strange one because October, December, like gangbuster storms and everyone was super hopeful. I remember the first like snow survey. They're like, yeah, we need more of these and we'll be in great shape. And then it just all dropped off. Right. We go out four months. Uh, we're pretty uh, confident about four months out. So can't really uh, know what's going to happen with uh, Santa Ana uh, fire season yet for Southern California. Uh, if we do get the rains in October, we won't see uh, any uh, Santa Ana fires. Last year we didn't see any. Uh, if the rains wait till uh, December, January, we'll get a, a lot of activity in October, November, which we saw uh, a couple years ago. I think in the 2020 year, we had quite a bit of uh, Santa Ana wildfires down here. But last year, we had all that. We had well above normal rainfall in October, and that pretty much uh, put a kibosh on that. Is a, is a La Nina or an El Nino change-up factoring into any of this? What have we been stuck with lately? Well, La Nina conditions, we usually see uh, ridging over uh, the southern tier of states, which creates warmer and drier conditions, and uh, storm track moves over the northern tier of states where it's cooler and wetter, and that's been the case for the last couple of years. Uh, going ahead to next year, it looks like either uh, uh, near normal conditions for the fall, winter, or going back into a weak La Nina, which would be another dry year for uh, California. U.S. Forest Service meteorologist uh, Matthew Seamus, and we now hold all of our hopes just for the word normal, right? Just, yeah. just bring me back a normal one. That's what yeah, we want. I, I remember normal. The Federal Reserve has gone ahead raising interest rates by half a percentage point, largest hike in 22 years, part of moves to fight inflation. So will it work? Does it risk uh, harming the very healthy jobs market? With us now, Ron Nansana, senior analyst, commentator on CNBC, host of the Market Scoreboard Report. Ron, excuse me, uh, as I cough on the air. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. What an <laughs> intro. For, yeah. <laughs> well, it was turn, like, turn your head when you do that. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, I've been through that, too. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, uh, I see that, you know, the, the market went up today. I like it much better, by the way, when the market yeah. goes up. Yeah. Yeah. Better than yeah, the especially alternative. 930 points. Yeah, yeah that, that was great. I like it better than when it goes down like 900 points. But why did it go up that many points? I mean, after all, the, the Fed raised interest rates today. Some people may be scratching their heads thinking, isn't that bad? Shouldn't the market go down? But it went up. Yes. And I, I'm among those who is, is a bit uh, flummoxed by the move. Although what, what, I, what I know to be the case so far is that the market was pricing in the possibility that the Federal Reserve would acknowledge that they would maybe need to raise rates by three quarters of a percent at one of the upcoming meetings. And my, my colleague, Steve Leisman from CNBC, asked Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell that very question. He said a 75 basis point or three quarter point increase was not being discussed currently. Um, and he laid out in pretty specific detail what the Fed plans to do going forward with respect to rate hikes. There could be a couple more half point increases. And he also suggested that um, the way in which the Federal Reserve reduces the size of its balance sheet, gets some bonds off its balance sheet, which is another credit tightening measure they're using to fight inflation, will start slowly and gradually pick up steam. So I think the market had priced in a worst case scenario, 
So we saw the market, the equity markets, the stock markets shoot up, and we saw long-term interest rates come down. The yield on the 10-year note dropped from 3% earlier this morning to 2.92% this afternoon. So that's the rough explanation of the market's interpretation of this. Obviously, the market was oversold, due for a bounce, and, and there may be a rally of, of some consequence, but the Fed's still raising rates for the next several months. So I'm not sure how long the rally lasts. What do you think of the overall economy? I mean, jobs and spending at a certain point with the inflation, do people finally scale back and then that changes things? Because so far we're still buying stuff. Well, we're still buying stuff. But here's the thing. The, the interest rate sensitive sector of the economy, most specifically housing, has already begun to roll over with the 30-year conventional mortgage rate now at 5.57%. It's more than doubled in less than a year. And housing affordability, of course, is is uh, reaching levels that are pricing people out of the market. So we've seen pending home sales, mortgage applications, new home sales decline. So that's the early stage of this process. Now, people do have excess savings. So household balance sheets, corporate balance sheets are in good shape. Even the government's balance sheet is getting to be better than it's been. So it may take a while for the rate hikes to bite as far as the real economy is concerned. Uh, but my bigger question is whether or not rate hikes will solve the inflation problem, because the Fed's not really responsible for inflation. It's the pandemic. It's the shutdowns and lockdowns in China. It's the war in Ukraine that's disrupting energy and food supplies. So um, I think there are open questions as to, to whether or not the economy slows down in the short run. In the longer run, I think the Fed, as, as they've made quite clear, is going to raise rates until inflation comes down. And that could later in the year, I think trigger a mild recession you know to, to to go back a minute to the uh the market i i suspect that some people by that i actually mean me but <laughs> but <laughs> some people me uh wonder how it is that you'll have a day when the market will shoot up hundreds of points sometimes and then the world doesn't really change in any appreciable appreciable way in 24 hours sometimes and but then the next day it'll take a nosedive and then the mm-hmm. day after that, it'll go way up again. But you look at the news and you go, you know, nothing really new has happened. Why does that happen? Some people ask. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> moi, vous. Yes. Um, it, it's a feature, not a bug of, of market behavior, right? I mean, what, what's, what's, what, what the bug is, is no volatility. The feature is volatility. It, the markets move erratically on a short-term basis. But on a longer-term basis, you'll see that they behave in kind of a a less random fashion. So on any given day, any number of interpretations could drive markets, any number of algorithmic, uh, you know, related trades can can make things move. Um, At the margin, sometimes the individual investor can set the price if they're working, you know, as a group uh, in terms of group think. And so listen, on on, on any given day, it's, it's like football on any given Sunday, you know, something strange can happen. But in the larger sweep of things, the market's a little more rational when you step back and look at it, what it's pricing in, what it's anticipating, what it's discounting. And right now, the market's discounting an economic slowdown, tighter policies from the Fed, less fiscal spending. And we see that because the Dow's down on the year, the S&P's down on the year, the Nasdaq's down on the year. All those people wondering, thank you. Yes, <laughs> they, they appreciate it. Ron Insana, senior analyst, commentator, CNBC, host of the Market Scoreboard Report. Now, this is something you're not going to hear every day, but Mike, can you describe your socks? Oh, yeah. So it took me a while to choose today because I have multiple pairs of Star Wars socks. Yeah. But today is uh, the Mandalorian. They are. Yeah. Yes. But I have like all the droids and then I have Chewbacca and then I have some Darth Vader socks. 
Okay. But these are the ones I picked today. We'll we'll talk about that after the show. <laughs> Fan, fans of uh, Star Wars, Mike is clearly that, are going around today saying, may the fourth be with you, a chance to celebrate all things to do with the movie franchise. Yeah, happy Star Wars Day. Um, somebody with us now is a host of Coffee with Kenobi, Star Wars podcast, Dan Zare. Uh, Dan, uh, happy Star Wars Day. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I can tell the force is with you and definitely with your feet. Yes, here we are. <laughs> so when did this actually turn into a thing? Because, like, the, the way the history lesson goes is people were saying it like a joke after the movie because it kind of sounds like may the force be with you. But it's become like a holiday for Star Wars fans, especially over the last, like, few years. Yeah, I believe back in May of 1979, uh, when Margaret Thatcher was elected prime minister, someone did a headline, uh, may the force be with you, and congratulations to Margaret Thatcher. So that was kind of the grassroots early one of it, and then when Revenge of the Sith came out, there was a poster trying to get people in the theaters and said, may the 4th be with you uh, right before the 4th of July to get people to go back in the theaters. And then, of course, when Disney purchased it, then merchandising got involved, uh, along with online fandom and podcasts and things like that, and here we are. This is a franchise, of course, that has now spanned generations, I mean, quite literally, and, and decades. Why do you think that's the case? I really think that Star Wars is that modern mythology that, that that America doesn't really have. George, when he created it back in the mid-70s, he wanted to find something that was not, uh, you know, let's think about the positive things that are the popular things that were out in the mid-70s, like Death Wish, things like that, a lot more moral ambiguity. He wanted to create something that was clear good and clear evil to provide hope, to provide inspiration. Certainly the theme of found family is there as well. And I think that's something that we latch on to both then as well as today, because it's it's really important this time to find that connection, that positivity, and Star Wars really, they'll do that. Plus, you've got lightsabers. Yes, you have lightsabers. <laughs> How much did the, the re-release do to actually make all this happen when the original trilogy went back to the theaters? Because that almost matched up for a certain generation of people who saw it the first time and then had kids and then took their kids back. And maybe they hadn't yeah. even seen it in years because, you know, VHS and they didn't have them. That's right, yeah. And back in 1997, that was sort of the, the impetus for it really returning in full force. There was also the, the Timothy Zahn, Grand Admiral Thrawn books, and then Hasbro started re-releasing figures. And shortly after that, it opened the gateway to Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and, that, and then I feel like Star Wars really hasn't gone away since then. The, the world, it seems to me anyway, uh, is divided into Star Wars people, and then there are the Star Trek people, and then there's Mike, who is both, right? <laughs> yes, You're I both. like both, because yes. they're very different. I, I know, but, but, why, but Dan, why do you think that is? And it is the case. There's some people who say, who kind of poo-poo Star Trek, and they say, nah, it's not the real thing, and then vice versa. Why do these two different camps exist? Yeah, science, I think of Star Trek as science fiction. You know, it attempts to create uh, reality inside a fictional world where Star Wars is really more science fantasy. It, does, it doesn't really apply to the rules of physics or science. It just kind of has fun and with measurements and spaces of time and, and how light works in space. So I guess it, it's different strokes for different folks. I, I like both just fine, but Star Wars has produced more... Uh, considerably popular content over the years as far as pop culture and box office receipts go. How do you think Star Wars is doing now? Obviously, we played some of the Obi-Wan trailers, so there's a new show, and then Mandalorian, and then Book of Boba Fett, and all these things on Disney+, Plus because Disney has it. But there are also separate camps thinking, the last few movies, eh, I didn't really like those, but I like the, the series now that are being produced. Do you fall into one of those, or do you like all of it? 
Uh, I like all of them. I think some are better than others, certainly. But I feel like with The Mandalorian, Disney Plus really has found a goldmine. At one point, The Mandalorian was the most watched show on any streaming service, period. And the quality has gone there now that they've connected those universes with the Book of Boba Fett, the upcoming Ahsoka. And who knows how Obi-Wan Kenobi will tie into this. They've tapped into a very much a new audience, especially as people can consume Star Wars, you know, on their phone or as opposed to going to a theater, it's just much more easy and accessible. And there's a lot more buzz, I think, because of that. Do you see a time when even Star Wars will just kind of like, you know, jump the shark? Oh, gosh. Well, I... I or has it? Or has it already? Right. Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. Personally, I don't think that's the case. I mean, if jumping the shark means you're going to sell out for merchandise, that happened back in 1978. So that's okay, that's one definition. And yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. And every year since, right? <laughs> yeah. Newly released figures. But, and... but, but, but more, more to the point, I mean, does there come a time in your mind when they've just kind of milked I it like for all you can Oversaturation. Get? You know, how yeah. many shows can you have run at the same time? Right. Right. That's fair. Well, I mean, I think Marvel is certainly the ultimate blueprint for that, and they don't seem to be running out of gas. Star Wars seems to be much more powerful when... Less is more. I think we need to get more movies back in theaters uh, on a semi-regular basis. I'd be fine with every three years because that's what I grew up with. But as long as you still got movies coming out in a, in a show here and there, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Because I think for for us tired fans, we're going to be there no matter what. Books, comics, streaming, movies, what have you. But for the casual fans and people who grew up with it that just appreciate the pop culture zeitgeist that it is, then they're just going to watch when there's a movie in the theater and that's that. What are you watching tonight? Are you going to pick one movie, one episode, something? Oh, you'll love this. So I, I still have a working Betamax with a copy of the original Star Wars unaltered, and that's what I will be watching. That's a, that's <laughs> that's a tradition great. at our house. <laughs> Mike, well, Mike wants to know when he can go. Yeah, I'll be there. We'll, we'll watch well, it. I have it's a quick, original format. I have a quick question, though, Dan. Uh, is, is Mike um, unusual? Pause. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by ha- by having the Star Wars socks. Is that unusual? Do you have well, them? Well, I do. As you I'm do? Saying, you know, I'm wearing some Star Wars jeans, a Lucasfilm hoodie, and a coffee with Kenobi t-shirt. Plus, I've got a Star Wars hat on. So See? Oh, he's, 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 he's underdoing it. Really. Yeah. Mike, he I could have gone. Beats, you know what? He beats you hands down. You watched me walk in here next year. <laughs> uh, Dan's there. Coffee with Kenobi, the podcast. Why, why don't you have all that stuff? Well, you know, there's still time.